and welcome on this snowy winter evening in New York. I'm John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the independent New York City's Lefty newspaper and website. You can find our December-January double edition in our red and white news boxes, also in more than 60 public libraries and in other public venues across the city. You can find our latest news coverage at independent.org and also breaking news on Indie Twitter and Indie Instagram. My co-host, Amba Gagarian, is off today. For today's show, we're going to focus on the state government in Albany, where much of New York City's fate is debated and decided. A new legislative session is underway and will continue until June. Governor Kathy Hochul kicked it off last week with her annual State of the State address, which we will be discussing with our guests in a few minutes. For legislators and the governor, their main chore will be to complete a roughly $230 billion state budget uh, by the end of March. This budget uh, inevitably sweeps in many other priorities that the governor and the state legislature may have. In the first half of this show, we'll speak with State Senator Jabari Brisport and Assemblymember Marcella Mitanias, both Democratic Socialists who represent districts in Brooklyn. We'll also hear about their top priorities for the new session, as well as how uh, they see uh, working people being able to influence what happens in Albany, a place that has traditionally been dominated by wealthy special interest groups. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from Jonathan Soto, a public education advocate who is running to unseat a 10-term incumbent up in Assembly District 82 in the Northeast Bronx. He would be the first socialist state legislator from the Bronx in more than a century. But but now we turn to Albany and welcome our guests for the first half of tonight's show. State Senator Jabari Brisport and Assembly Member Marcella Mitanias, welcome back to the Independent News Hour. Thank you for having us, John. Great to see you again. Likewise. Hi. 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 So happy to be here with you guys. Great. I'm, yeah, I'm glad we can have this discussion and, and get people up to speed on uh, what the new year is looking like in Albany. And of course, uh, I was kicked off by an annual Albany ritual, the governor's state of the state address uh, given uh, uh, last week. And uh just want to start by playing uh, a couple of clips uh, from her, uh, giving her take on uh, how the state should approach uh housing policy and building more uh, much-needed housing in, in New York City and elsewhere, and then and as well as some of her thoughts on uh, mass transportation and economic uh, development. And I'll get your response to that, and we'll talk about uh, more of uh, what she's uh, calling for and what you all are calling for. Sure. The city of New York, which is a local government, wants to build 500,000 more homes over a decade. I agree. Let them build. Our plan for New York City, our plan for New York City includes four components of what I proposed last year. Restoring tax incentives to build housing that includes affordable housing. Eliminating outdated restrictions on residential density that prevents the city from building more. Supporting no-brainer ideas like the conversion of underutilized commercial property into homes 
That can't be hard. And legalizing basement apartments where New Yorkers already live. We'll continue to build New York to a place that welcomes businesses, new and existing, small and large, family-owned and publicly traded. We'll keep driving the long-delayed infrastructure and public transit projects, like the Second Avenue subway extension, the Interborough Express, the I-81 Viaduct, the Kensington Expressway, creating thousands and thousands of good-paying union jobs so our workers can support their families. Finally, regarding crime, I want to talk about hate crimes, particularly the rising tide of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Since the horrific attacks by Hamas against Israel on October 7th, there's been roughly a 95% increase in hate crimes against Jewish residents of New York City. And we're seeing a surge of anti-Muslim hate crimes as well. Our neighbors are being targeted on playgrounds and synagogues and mosques and on college campuses. All right, so that was some of what Governor Kathy Hochul had to say during her uh, State of the State address last Tuesday. Uh, Assemblymember uh, Marcella Martinez, I want to start with you on the on the housing uh, points she made uh, before you became a, a state legislator from your assembly district in Sunset Park. You were a housing justice organizer for many years there. Uh, your family experienced displacement as well. Uh, your thoughts on what she had to say and if, if there was anything uh, important she left out of her uh, formula for uh, uh, housing uh, policy here in New York? Yeah, um, I'd like to start with something that she finally admitted and we all agree upon, right? That it's not the taxes that are driving people away, but it's really the unaffordability of housing that's making people leave. And so I think that's really important um, to understand. Um, she keeps talking about incentives to build and wanting to go back to a program that we have seen failed us over and over again. Right. New Yorkers are now understanding what um, the building of affordable housing means. It means that they have to wait for a project to be developed. It means that a lot of them don't qualify because their income isn't high enough. And those that do are finding that the rents that are being charged on these affordable units that are being created are actually higher than the rent that they're currently paying. And so I don't see that we can build our way out of this housing crisis we need to act on things that will give folks immediate assistance now. And so another thing she's she's not talking about is protection that tenants need. There's over a million households currently right now that don't have any protections against arbitrary rent increases. They don't have any protections against evictions. Um, and that can change with a good cause eviction bill. Um, we know that people are having a hard time paying their rent. They're paying they're working two or three jobs. They're picking and choosing what um, what is what bill is not going to be covered just to make sure that they're paying the rent. So instituting a statewide uh, rental subsidy at this moment would be crucial, right, to folks that have one foot out the door that are about to be evicted. And the difference between this subsidy at the state level as well is that there are no limitations or there are no restrictions on someone's immigration status. So this would allow many more of our neighbors that don't currently qualify for other programs 
And then there's something else about wanting to make sure that we're preserving what's left of our affordable housing stock. And that's what a bill that I champion, it's called TOPA, Tenants Opportunity to Purchase Act. What we're seeing, especially in gentrifying communities like mine, is buildings that are in neglect, buildings that are being bought just to be flipped. And so why not give the tenants an opportunity to purchase their own buildings and a way of investing in our communities and providing a pathway from the middle, from the working class to the middle class through home ownership. And so these are three simple things that we can enact that will begin to give people relief that they need. And again, you know, returning to fail programs that are costing us so much money um, is really not the solution at this moment. Okay. And uh, State Senator Jabari Brisport, you represent a, a district in uh, central Brooklyn that's uh, gone through a lot of gentrification and change over the last couple of decades. Uh, your thoughts on Hochul's uh, uh, housing policies and whether we need a good cause eviction as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just start by addressing your quote of, of let them build and just, you know, remind everyone that, you know, developers may be major donors to uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, but they are absolutely not the victim uh, in New York uh, and they are not being blocked from housing. I can speak to Pacific Park in my district where thousands of units of housing have been approved to be built and the developer refused. The developer blocked housing and you know, hoping they could shake down the government for additional money uh, before they eventually went bankrupt. Um, and defaulted on their loan. Um, so I absolutely remain skeptical as, you know, somebody represents a district that built at aggressive levels over the past, um, you know, two decades. Um, I'm certainly not a, a YIMBY, but if you look at my district, it, it, it embraced YIMBY policies over the past two decades and prices continue to skyrocket. So I, I remain skeptical that doing the same thing we've been doing the past two decades will, will create a different result. So in terms of controlling the rents, though, um, so many people having to leave New York because they can't, you know, afford it. Uh, that for that we need good cause eviction. There, there is no other way. We have no other like viable solutions to controlling the rents than you know than than good cause eviction. For for people who aren't up on this, can you explain what good cause eviction would be and how it it relates to the rent stabilization programs that are already in place in New York City? Sure. Uh, good cause eviction, one, limits uh, evictions to times when the landlord can show good cause, either a violation of the lease or non-payment of rent. And then specifically for non-payment of rent, it gives additional protections in court and eviction proceedings where a landlord would need to prove why they raise the rent so much if it goes above a certain threshold. Mm. And uh, uh, so what do you all, I mean, for both of you and you're a member of a, both members of an eight uh, person uh, socialist contingent in the state legislature. What do you see as your top priorities in this session? What are you hoping to not only fight for, but uh, possibly win? Yeah, I, I can go first. Um, I think uh, we're fighting for universal child care, right? People need a place uh, to take their children so that they can go to work somewhere where they feel safe not just for some people, but making sure that everyone has access to it. Um, we want to make sure that pe- our folks have an access to an education, right? That's going to be about their future and being able to afford, um, you know, what comes. And we're talking about green transportation for the future. And, you know, everyone deserves affordable health care. So, you know, New York Health Act. So these are things that are essential that people need along with assistance for affordable housing. And one of the ways that we can pay for it is taxing the rich. 
So I, I would say the assembly member hit all the points I wanted to hit. So just a big plus one to each of those and just responding to, again, things the, the governor um, ha- has said repeatedly, you know, in her state of the state, she said, we can't spend money we don't have. And I, I want to reiterate that we do have it. It just exists in the pockets of the rich and, and her wealthy donors. And that if we raise the taxes on them to make sure they pay what they owe, we can have the money that we need to ensure that working class communities across New York State can survive and thrive. And for each of you, um, what's your sense of the level of enthusiasm, uh, both in the Assembly and in the State Senate, for raising additional tax money from the rich? Uh, the governor says she's against it, but uh, what's your sense of uh, where your colleagues are at on this? The Democrats currently control supermajorities in both houses of the New York legislature. I mean, in the assembly, I'm seeing more and more of my colleagues um, embracing this, right? We're seeing this as something that, you know, everyday working folks understand. They know that there's a need and they're tired, quite frankly, of seeing corporations make billions and billions of dollars off of their workforce. And, you know, there's so many needs here um, in the in the in the city, in the state that can actually benefit from it. I think the first year we did a, a, a corporate tax, it was um just for a short period of time, but we've seen how that has really uh, bought in the revenue that we we needed. And instead of talking about renewing it, you know, the governor seems you know content on letting it sunset. And what's the mood in the state senate? Yeah, you know, colleagues know that they can't go home from the budget this year with cuts to schools or cuts to hospitals or, or cuts to social services. Um, we have a crisis of capitalism where the rich keep getting richer and richer while everyday working class people are struggling to get by. And our colleagues are, are feeling that. And, you know, in, in, in previous years, it has been the case where people in Albany have been very afraid to raise taxes during an election year. They're afraid of, of what that will, you know, you know, say or what that might look like. But I think this can, this will be the year where they understand that they should be more afraid of the people who are getting left behind when we choose to preserve tax breaks for the rich and well connected. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, uh, public opinion polls always show that uh, taxing the rich is one of the most popular items among the the general public, if not uh, the upper echelons of the political class. Uh, um, So I guess another thing I I was uh, uh, curious about is um, can you talk a little bit about kind of how you all function in Albany – we have three socialist state senators, five assembly members. So y'all are a distinct uh, minority. Yet, I, as I understand it, your goal is to to sort of organize your colleagues and to, and to maybe uh, be able to punch above your weight. And uh, can you talk about how you do that? How you do that in conjunction with uh, the larger socialist movement that helped propel both of you into office in 2020? If you can give us sort of a as much of a description of kind of what happens on the inside and the and the role that you all are able to play, uh, welcome that. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll just give a sort of case study example of our inside organizing. Uh, about a little more than a year ago, the the governor nominated Hector LaSalle, um, a conservative activist judge, to lead the Court of Appeals. 
And in conjunction with a great outside push from the the court New York deserves an incredible advocacy group, um, the first three people out of the gate, the first three legislators out of the gate um, saying they would vote no on his nomination were the three socialists, myself, Senator Julia Salazar and Senator Kristen Gonzalez. And we organized pretty hard um, to grow the number from three of us saying we would vote no to ultimately over 12 uh, senators saying they would vote no and effectively killing the, the nomination. And it is our goal, you know, consistently to keep organizing our colleagues, um, not just against, you know, bad nominations, but for good legislation and, and for good bills. So we definitely punch above our weight. There's There's three of us in the Senate, but we you know, try and make our effect more than three people. And, you know, we're successful where we where we can be. And that's that's what we'll keep doing moving forward. And, and uh, Marcelo Martinez, I mean, you went on a hunger strike at one point for 12 days to win additional funding for undocumented uh, immigrant workers during the pandemic. Uh, uh, but besides uh, uh, starving yourself from time to time, uh, what what else uh, are you and your socialist colleagues in the assembly able to do uh, to uh, um, to have a higher impact? And what would you see as some of the highlights so far of that approach? I mean, it really is about, you know, um, having conversations and partnering up with folks, right? Um, the legislation doesn't necessarily have to be carried by us if it's good legislation and we believe in it. You know, we will help put in the work to make sure that people support it and it gets passed, not just, you know, within the assembly, but making sure that we're talking to people um, that need to know about what's happening. I think that, you know, it's it's an ongoing uh, conversation that we have with our colleagues. We don't always um, agree on the same things, but we need to be able to find where we do agree on and try and build on those relationships constantly. Right. And, and can you talk about, uh, I, I guess, a little bit more h- how you sync up your work on the inside with movements on the outside, including uh, the organization Democratic Socialists of America, uh, which y'all come from? I think it's really important to have conversations, especially with everyday folks, and also include civic engagement and civic education, right? Um, Making sure that people understand that there's this big speech the governor is is saying, right, and what her priorities are, understanding what happens during – um, session, right? The budget hearings that we have, the, um, one house, uh, budget proposals that we do, right? Making sure people are connected and understand what's happening, as well as making sure that they understand the legislation that we're trying to, to push forward. And so what it, what it ends up being, it ends up being like a, a group effort on what we're doing. And so we want to make sure that folks understand that they have every right to participate and they should be participating. And I think that folks, if folks really understood what was happening and the way government functioned or its um, inability to function properly, they'd be upset. And so they'd be more tuned in. And so that's what we're trying to do is make sure we're bringing people into the fold. And I would just add to a lot of our strength comes from our constant collaboration. You know, a lot of people who operate in politics operate as islands unto themselves. It's a lot of, you know, people, you know, acting solo. And those of us, uh, you know, the socialists in, in the legislature, we, we check in with uh, DSA weekly. We check in with each other as legislators daily um, through either Zoom meetings or group chats. And it's that constant communication and making sure we're on the same page that allows us to be so effective. 
Mm. And uh, it wasn't that long ago that y'all were both activists on the outside yourself before your election in 2020. Uh, Jabari, you were a middle school teacher and Marcella, you were a, a housing organizer in Sunset Park. What, what has surprised you the most uh, being on the inside for the past three years or so uh, that maybe you didn't uh, anticipate or, or know when you were running for office as an outsider? Uh, I think Jamari, for do you me, want to start? Sorry, go ahead. Or Marcella? <laughs> uh, I'll start. I would say, you know, um, what has uh, surprised me the most on the um, the inside is um, it is not always as simple as uh, simply showing the facts sometimes to, to move legislation or to move colleagues. Um, sometimes there are relationships that need to be tugged at or, or other other mechanisms. And that, that's, that was my own naivete coming into the legislature. I, I was a math teacher. Math is pretty cut and dry. And I, mm-hmm. I thought I would come here and, oh, you just show the facts and then that'll, that'll change their mind. But that was, that was not the case. So there's that. And on the outside, honestly, one thing I, I never expected was our ability to really, um, really turn someone's day around or, or make drastic changes in individuals' lives. Um, you know, I, I, I knew I would have the power to help more people in my community, but it wasn't until I took office to show how much I could do to, you know, my office to help people avoid uh, evictions or, 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 you know, get help with their unemployment or even something as simple as recognizing somebody's work with a proclamation or, or, or something can, can mean the world to them. And those things in a, in a very positive light are, are things I, I did not expect were, were part of the job, but I, I fully, fully love. And Marcella Matenius? Um I don't think we talk enough about how this job impacts our mental health. I think from long hours to so many new things that you're learning about, and it's not just superficial stuff. You really have to dig into it. Um, the different relationships with, that we're managing, um, both with people, um, you know, with proximity to power as well as our colleagues. Um, and that's something that, um, I feel like we should talk about more, right? And and if we understand that this is happening, that we'll be able to take better care of ourselves so that we can be better legislators as well. Mm. And uh, also just one other question, uh, especially about the, the budget process coming up. Uh, there's all, every group under the sun will uh, trek uh, their way to Albany to try to make their voice heard and visit their legislators. Oh, now, now that you've been on the inside, what's your sense of the impact that, that being visited by their constituents and, 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 and being, um, pressured, I guess, by constituents. What impact does it have on, uh, not only on you all, but, uh, your colleagues? Do you get a sense that, uh, makes a difference or that people are, for the most part, up there running on autopilot? Jabari, if you want to start, it's a great question, John. Honestly, it really it varies from from legislator to legislator. You know, I I always meet with you know groups that that bring my constituents. Some some legislators might just send a staffer, you know, to 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 talk to them. So it really depends. But I, I think it's a great opportunity for people who come up to see, um, to see how different legislators operate and to see how Albany works. And you know, in some cases, maybe you learn that you might need a new legislator. Right. You went through that, uh, Marcella. You, your 
former state assembly person there um, in Sunset Park, as I recall, didn't uh, uh, have much use for talking to housing activists. And then you ended up running and taking his job. Yeah, I mean, I spent about 10 years lobbying, right, talking to folks, educating them about legislation, educating them about who had the power to enact it, and then actually bringing them up here and helping them prep their individual stories. Um, I also used to come up here and lobby my former senator, who's now mayor, right? So these are things that, you know, to me, I was on the other side. So I, I knew how important it was. I know how much um, people are taking out of their time, losing a day of work to come up here, right? To be part of this um, group of people that want to really tell their stories, to be able to expand on the legislation um, that that is that is here. And so to me, it's like really important to try and make as much time as I can. I'm always excited when folks from the tenant movement come up. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we have some of our colleagues that are just numb to it. And it's just, you know, it's just noise to them. And they've learned learn to ignore it. And so I think that the presence up in Albany is so important. I think people need to see uh, for themselves what's happening up here, um, have those meetings with people, you know, that they feel are important, that they have every right to, right? And then just understanding that, you know, people with power, like the real estate industry just hires people and they have like a direct connection to the governor and they can just pick up the phone and call her. And everyday folks whose lives are impacted by the legislation that we pass come up here and are constantly, especially in the tenant movement, are constantly being labeled as just making noise, not really, you know, uh, people with coherent ideas about what's happening and just, you know, just decide to just ignore them. And that's heartbreaking for me, especially since I've spent so much time doing that work on the other side. Right. Uh, and before we go here, talking about uh, upgrading the uh, quality of representation, um, uh, your organization, uh, the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, is running three more challengers against incumbent members of the uh, assembly uh, in the hopes of growing the socialist contingent in Albany from eight members to uh, 11 uh, this year. And in, in a few minutes, we're going to talk with one of those challengers, Jonathan Soto, up in the Bronx. Uh, but I guess if both of you want to make an elevator pitch for why it would make a difference to have 11 socialists in Albany versus eight. And uh, Marcella Matanius, if you want to start, since these could be your future sure. colleagues. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that um, legislators are reminded that we are public servants. I think that there's been a deviation from that. And I think that as much as possible, you want to make sure that you're bringing in people who are um who have the same ideas, right? So that we can collectively together push forward um, our agenda. But I think more so it's about um, having people understand that this is a position where we have a lot of influence and power, but at the same time, what we're trying to do is build a better world. And we know that that's possible. And so we are like-minded individuals who have decided that we will collectively and together work toward that vision, that we're not here for ourselves individually. And also just, we're also changing the way um, people do work in Albany, right? Like we have publicly 
um, decided not to take money from the real estate industry, not take any money from fossil fuel polluters, right? And so I think this is really important as it continues to come out. People have a right to demand more from their elected officials. And so I hope that next year we will have three more socialists in office. And Jabari Brisport, the difference between uh, 8 and 11 and yeah, uh, well, why you're uh, supporting all these uh, challengers? Of course. Well, aside from this being our, our, our spinal tap moment and, and taking it to, to 11, um, I, I will point out just what we've been able to accomplish every time we've grown the presence of socialists in Albany. And we've worked in concert with outside groups every time. But just starting with, you know, one with Julia Salazar being elected after that in 2019, uh, HSTPA, Landmark Housing Legislation, when we expanded the slate to six of us, uh, you know, after the 2020 elections, we passed new taxes on the rich to the tune of billions of dollars, which was the largest amount I've seen in my lifetime. And then when we expanded again, come last year, 2023, for the first time ever, we um, stopped the confirmation of a really bad judge to New York's top court and passed nation-leading Green New Deal legislation in the Bill of Public Renewables Act. So short and sweet, every time we elect more socialists, New York gets better. And so we should we should absolutely um, you know get excited about adding three more in the assembly. Okay, well we'll leave it there. But uh, Assembly Member Marcella Matanias and State Senator Jabari Brisport, thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Radio this evening. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You bet. So we'll be back with more after this short music break. of Babylon by the Melodians. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, your uh, community uh, radio station, listener-sponsored radio station. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent. My co-host, Abba Gagarian, uh, is out today, um, but she has been continuing to follow the uh, pr- the anti-war protest movement, and I uh, want to share some updates um, on recent uh, Gaza protests, the movement continues even in the, some of the coldest days of winter. And then after, in a few minutes, we'll be going to Jonathan Soto, a really amazing uh, uh, activist up in the Northeast Bronx, who's now uh, running for state assembly. And we're going to he- learn a little bit more about uh, Jonathan's uh, life and work and why he is trying to enter the state legislature. Uh, but just to uh, let people know, 
if, if you weren't following the news over the weekend, at least 400,000 people uh, showed up in Washington, D.C. Uh, to protest for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza on Saturday. There were also protests around the world, including an estimated 500,000 people protesting in London, 100,000 in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, other cities uh, also poured out for Palestine, including Johannesburg, South Africa, Jakarta, capital of Indonesia, the world's largest or the most populous Muslim country. Uh, there are also uh, thousands of people protesting across Israel, Israel participating in anti-war and anti-government demonstrations on the eve of the 100th day of this genocidal war on Gaza. And not only was the Washington, D.C. protest the largest pro-Palestinian demonstration in U.S. history, it was also one of the largest marches on Washington ever. As Israel's uh, war continues into its fourth month, famine and disease are now widespread in Gaza. Here in New York, protesters marked MLK Day yesterday with actions to call attention to these uh, twin horrors of famine and disease. In the morning, NY10 neighbors and the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America held a protest at the Irish Hunger Memorial at the bottom of Lower Manhattan. That memorial recalls the genocide that was carried out against the people of Ireland during the potato famine. And uh, so they gathered to call attention to the forced starvation uh, being imposed on 2.3 million Gazans in the NY10, if you're wondering, refers to New York's 10th congressional district, a liberal da- bastion in lower Manhattan and parts of Brooklyn extending out to Park Slope that's uh, represented by Congressman Dan Goldman, who has angered many of his constituents with his ardent support for Israel's war on Gaza. Now, later in the afternoon yesterday, at least 4,000 people uh, here in New York City marched from Union Square to the United Nations and then on up to Gracie Mansion in the Upper East Side, where the mayor lives, in a protest demanding uh, both a ceasefire and access to better health care in Gaza. According to the Gaza Health Ministry, only nine of Gaza's 35 hospitals uh, are, are even partially functioning, and only six ambulances remain uh, even partially operational uh, to serve that population of 2.3 uh, million people. This comes amid other deteriorating conditions, including lack of access to clean water, uh, of course, food and medicine, as I've been saying. Um, that's all putting tremendous strain on the health infrastructure there. Uh, that protest yesterday afternoon was organized by Within Our Lifetime with the support of healthcare workers for Palestine and many other groups. The Indies Ambra Gagarian, uh, during the protest, spoke with a 17-year-old Malian-American protester from the Bronx who traveled uh, down to Midtown uh, by herself to participate in this de- demonstration for Gaza. Uh, she asked not to be identified by name, but in this clip, she talks about why it was important for her to protest not only online, but in person, alongside many other people, and why she felt uh, she had to join the struggle for a free Palestine. So let's uh, listen to her for a minute here. I know that my friends are posting on social media, but they haven't really been like out here vocally. And I feel like the more you physically or like you show your support as a person rather than anonymously online, it has a better effect because, because like, how do I say this? It brings more courage to you and it makes 
it shows that you know that you're not alone. Yeah. When you're gathered in masses together, that you know that we're all fighting for the same cause. It's like I post online, but who cares? But then you're not the only person that's doing that, right? Online you can't really see that, but in person, when you see everyone together chanting "Free Palestine," it brings some hope. There's hope in like darkness that. One day there will be a free Palestine, and that's what I do. And we're out in the cold, but honestly, because we're the generation, we're the future generation. If we don't get out, who's going to? Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. I first heard of it when I saw the bombing of Masjid Al-Aqsa, and then as a Muslim, I was just very like confused. What was going on? Why is our holy site being bombed? And then when I just like looked more into the reason of it, and It just like really hurt me because like they're human beings. Yeah. The, we're not asking for people to leave the land. We're asking for them to stop killing them. It's completely two different things. Israel's asking like, do you condemn Hamas? But we're just asking, can you stop killing? It's like two different broad spectrums. Like we're just asking you to stop killing us. We're asking for a permanent ceasefire. I just, I just can't like. It's. It's really straightforward, but not straightforward. That's where I'm like standing. I'm just like very like dumbfounded. Okay, that was a protester yesterday at yesterday's protest outside the United Nations demanding uh, vastly improved uh, healthcare access uh, for the people of Gaza who've been under uh, fierce uh, bombardment for more than uh, three months now, and. Uh, it's only on WBAI that you're going to hear voices like that. It's only on, on WBAI that you're going to have a chance to hear socialists uh, have a chance to really unpack their ideas for how they think uh, government can uh, be made to serve uh, ordinary working people uh, better than it uh, previously has. And, of course, on the Independent News Hour, you hear so many other voices uh, every week, uh, community leaders and organizers uh, from all kinds of different uh, movements, from mi- uh, migrant uh, migrant uh, rights activists, anti-police brutality activists, environmental activists, uh, during the run-up last year to the passage of the Build Public Renewables Act. And we had people from various organizations that were pushing for that. And, and on WBAI, there's many other shows that also uh, do great work, but it's only possible with the support of listeners like yourself. If you call 212-209-2950 right now, and make a contribution to WBAI, whether it's a generous one-time contribution or if you become a WBAI buddy who signs up to give at least $10 a month, uh, you are helping bring all these voices on the air. It's only you and other listeners like yourself that make this possible. You're not going to hear this kind of coverage on corporate radio stations or even on over there at National Pentagon Radio, our friends at NPR. Uh, it's only on WBAI. Uh, a listener-sponsored community station broadcasting in New York for 64 years because of listeners like yourself who picked up that phone and called 212-209-2950. Or you can also go online to give number two wbaiorg Again, that's give number two wbaiorg uh, Pull out the plastic and you fill out the, the forms on the screen and be and make a donation or even better become a WBAI buddy. Uh, we also have to hustle like hell at the independent to raise money. And, 
And the people who are our monthly sustainers are the bedrock, the financial bedrock of our organization. And that's the same at WBAI. So if you can become a monthly sustainer for $10 a month or more, $15, $20 a month, uh, that's amazing. You also get all sorts of uh, perks and premiums that, that go with that. Um, if you go, uh, to give number two, WBAI.org, that will be spelled out. If you call 212-209-2950, uh, the folks at the call center will not only, uh, uh, take, you know, help you complete your donation, but will, you know, explain to you what you gain from becoming a WBAI buddy. But above all, above all, you gain the satisfaction of keeping this one of a kind radio station on the air. You have to pay our rent. We've got that transmitter and antenna on top of four times square in, in the heart of Manhattan that beams the signal a hundred miles in all directions out to Long Island, up to the Hudson Valley, down to Jersey and across the five boroughs. Now, uh, I'll give that number uh, again before the, the, uh, the show ends, but if you can pick up that call now, that phone now, 212-209-2950. Now, speaking of the five boroughs, uh, we're going to uh, shift our attention to the Bronx, up in Northeast Bronx, Assembly District 82. Uh, the incumbent there is uh, Michael Benedetto, a conservative Democrat who's been off in office for a long time. Uh, two years ago, Jonathan Soto, a public education advocate and who's worn many hats in his short life, uh, challenged Benedetto, got 36% of the vote, and he's back uh, trying again, and he's also running with the endorsement of the uh, DSA. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, talking with Jonathan here. He was also an aide to Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, has been active in Puerto Rico issues as well. Jonathan, welcome to WBAI Radio. It's great to be here, John, with you and with the uh, WBA audience and the independent folks. So thank you for having me. And a uh, great conversation with comrades uh, and Senator uh, Brisport and, Mar- and Assemblymember uh, Marcella. And I appreciate to continue it. Absolutely. So uh, I, I, I give us your elevator pitch for why you're uh, running for assembly and, and why you think the, the people of the 82nd District uh, should replace the guy that they've previously voted in uh, 10 times. It was two years ago when I was here and, and joined you and we had this conversation. A lot of the themes that we brought last time have continued uh, to grow um, like a cancer when it comes to the undemocratic ruling and running of our public school system. Um, it's really gotten worse. We've also seen um, the mayor increase his uh, ruthlessness when it comes to austerity and the infliction of harm on our families and communities, whether it is uh, displacing migrant children in the public education system, whether it is prioritizing donors um, over the safety of schools, specifically the mayor prioritized a donor to the campaign to receive a FDNY fire inspection over a Brooklyn school's uh, uh, fire safety, uh, uh, testing and carbon monoxide oversight. So these are things that have just gotten worse throughout the past two years. And my opponent, Michael Benedetto, who's the chair of the education committee, um, not only has aided and abetted the mayor in this horrible, um, engagement with our public schools, but is now act- asking 
for uh, an expansion of his power through what was announced today, a four-year extension of mayoral control of schools. Um, so the schools are a huge issue. I'm a public school parent. Um, the DOE has a $40 billion budget. People don't realize how big that is. And the mayor uses that. I mean, that's about more than three times larger than the police budget, which itself is enormous. And in light of what I see also just structurally with our politics, that's a problem. You know, the federal government funding will probably dry out if we have a a, a Trump uh, coming back to the White House. And we see that the Democrats are fearful of raising revenue. Um, and increasing our budget power at a time where we really need to do that. And we have a executive um, and we also have a judicial branch that is ignoring the will of the state legislature. The Constitution works or the project works if we have co-equal distribution of power. And we don't have that, which is why I am excited to organize uh, from my political home as a socialist with the SIO organizing as a block in the state legislature. And um, that is something structurally that we have to really push for. And those dynamics have become even more intensified since the last two years. And I'm excited to um, run this time with the endorsement of uh, my organization, uh, DSA. Right. Now, can you just uh, explain a little bit more what mayoral control is? Uh, why you object to it, and, and in particular the idea of extending it for another four years, and what you would want to see as a replacement, and what the role is the state legislature and your uh, opponent, Michael Benedetto, in particular, play in all this, why why you think it's important to go to Albany uh, to address this. In 2002, Mayor Bloomberg uh, concocted this scheme uh, to take municipal control over what was the state's domain due to our constitution explicitly stating the state's role to guarantee a public education here in New York. So in 2002, basically it's a carve out that the state does um, and gives the mayor power to have budget authority, appointment authority, as we've seen here in New York City. Um, So that's been since 2002 and it renews. They do it every three, four or year cycles. Um, here we have Bloomberg has had renewals probably of four or three years. We've seen de Blasio, he had renewals of three to two to even one year. And last renewal for the uh, Adams was two years. And now it's expiring. And right now we're having hearings throughout the city. And parents are fed up with mayoral control and the state legislature, my opponent, um, assembly member, Michael Benedetto, who's the chair of the education committee in the assembly and Senator John Liu, um, who is the uh, chair of the education committee at the Senate level. They're, um, you know, big voices in this debate of whether mayoral control will be extended. Why mayoral control is dangerous is because it's an authoritarian corporate system of school governance. Uh, Bloomberg, constructed it that way um and it's allowed for the massive as, as opposed to a more community-based system of governance that you envision and correct. others correct and that's where we need to go towards a system that has more parental caregiver and teacher input 
more power over budgets because the mayor, for example, gets millions of dollars over of education funding from the state and he's not spending it. So what is he doing with that money? Um, probably giving cronies some support. So we need a really radical change, but that protects, for example, um, our control over the curriculum and not allow, for example, groups like Moms for Liberty, right wing groups that have been organizing nationally to attack queer, to attack trans and to eliminate uh, critical race theory and true his, uh, teaching in our schools. We need to be mindful that we can't just undo mayoral control and leave those vulnerabilities open to come in. So the state legislature has an opportunity to institute a system of municipal control, similar to what we have, but we, for example, give the city council appointment power over the chancellor and more budget power. We could have a vision of community control. We see in Brownsville and in the 60s in, in Brooklyn, many like radical black communities came and created a, a, an amazing and beautiful way of, of community governance that could be uh, sought for again. This debate needs to happen now. The problem is that today the governor called for a four-year extension to get passed in the budget. So organizing task number one is to bring mayoral control outside of the budget process politically, and that happened last time, um, into the legislative session, which is after the budget gets passed in March and April. So that's a key organizing task for now. Okay. Now, in, in the remaining uh, time we have, can you tell us a little bit uh, both about your district up there in Northeast Bronx and what you consider to be some of the other uh, important uh, priorities uh, for the people of the 82nd district that you want to represent? The district is made up of Co-op City, Throgs Neck, City Island, Westchester Square, Pelham Bay, communities that have huge municipal uh, union density. So one of the things we found last time is that a lot of city workers, people that have worked hard, people that have fought for their rights, people who really care about their health care. These are folks that make up our constituents and residents in the district. The district now is majority minority, um, right? We have uh, majority and plurality populations of Latino and black residents. Um, we also have huge coastal vulnerabilities. We've seen flooding in our streets. We've seen our infrastructure crumbling and the lack of key investments for resilience mitigation, but also addressing fossil fuel pollution that is rampant in our communities is something that needs to get done as soon as possible. Um, and these communities have seen that leaders like Benedetto have gotten ahead. They've seen the rich have gotten ahead in the society, yet we consistently get left behind. So the position and the call is that first, Benedetto favors the powerful over the people. He's taken money from Donald Trump. Um, he took $6,100 for Donald Trump for the uh, Trump golf course, which now he's fighting for a casino instead of affordable housing. Uh, Benedetto is one of Mayor Adams' biggest allies in spite of Mayor Adams' um, um, instances of, of cut, cutting budgets, um, which is devastating as the role of education chair. Um, and Benedetto does not support good cause. You know, our district is made majority of renters. Uh, renters are feeling the crush of rising prices as they are throughout the city, yet Benedetto does not support good cause eviction, uh, which is at a core part of our 
power of our program and platform for the neighborhood. So we had 36% last time. Um, again, we had a broad support, but at the time I had ran too late to, um, ask for the DSA endorsement. Um, but as a democratic socialist, um, the DSA difference is real and we're starting earlier. Um, and we're winning this time, but we're going to win. Um, as mentioned by my, uh, future colleagues, uh, the senator and the assembly member, I'm not running alone. We're running as a block. We're, we're running as a movement of, of multiracial, intergenerational, working class people that are tired of getting left behind and that are ready to move forward with this vision of the future. Cause if New York state does not step up in light of this looming threat of Trumpism returning and federal government importing austerity against us, we're going to be in deep trouble. That's why we need to tax the rich. That's why we need more revenue. And that's why we need to really fix our lack of democracy in our institutions here in New York state, as we see through mayoral control, as we see also, for example, we passed BPRA last time, yet Hochul doesn't appoint a person who's going to enforce the law. And these are issues that executives have too much power. Our constitution is not a monarchy, nor is intended to be, but is acting like one. So we need stronger legislative muscle. And I'm excited to join my comrades in trying to get that done. Right. And we just have one more minute here. But uh, like the other Democratic Socialists you're running alongside, uh, you've taken a very strong position in support of the Palestinian people and their struggle, even though uh, traditionally in New York, uh, most politicians wouldn't dream of doing that. Um, uh, your thoughts on why you are so aggressively supporting the Palestinian cause um, and, and, and any reflections on the comments you heard from the young woman a few minutes ago. Because history is looking on us. History is noting, especially in our age where it's so easy to communicate our values and our opinions, who was silent during the genocide. We've seen tens of thousands, 20,000, 30,000 Gazans, um, murdered and killed by an autocratic theocratic government that is propped up and funded by the United States. I'm a taxpayer and my taxpayer dollars are killing my neighbors in Gaza. That's why we have to call for a ceasefire. It's very clear. And when I hear the comments, um, I, they resonate with me. And this is how I felt um, you know, from, I'm Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico doesn't, we're stateless people. Um, obviously it's a different situation, but we don't have a state. We've never had a state, nor do we have a country in Puerto Rico. Um, and when I hear the deep sense of, of power that comes together in times of crisis, like she mentioned, going out in the streets and feeling community and feeling courage, I felt that as a person who's experienced colonization in my own way. And from Puerto Rico to the Bronx to Palestine, um, where we got to organize for peace, we got to organize for self-determination, and we got to organize for what's just. And what's just right now is calling for a ceasefire now. Okay. Jonathan Soto, a Democratic Socialist, running in the primary this spring for the 82nd Assembly District in Northeast Bronx. Thank you so much for joining us on WBAI Radio. Do you, Real quick, do you want to let people know where they can find out more about your campaign? Then, like 10 seconds. I, we got a bowl. www.soto number four ny.com. You can find me also on Instagram, Twitter, 
Soto 4NY. And that 4 is a number 4, not spelled out. So S-O-T-O 4NY. And thank you, John. Um, and thank you, Independent, for having me.